0: presents Bank Chats with Drew Thomas. So assuming that I put an offer in on, on a home, mm-hmm. How long does it take from the day that you say, yes, I want to buy this house to the day I I get the keys and can walk in and start painting?
1: I I typically tell people 45 days, but it can go either direction. A big chunk of that time is sitting around waiting for an appraisal report to be prepared. Mm -hmm. And the appraisal basically gives us a dollar value, an estimate of the market value of the house at that moment. You know, the appraisals are ordered typically once we have an idea that this is going to at least be conditionally approved and then it's typically a 30 day window. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they float in really quick. And sometimes depending on the complexity of the property, the circumstances around it, the location of it, it it can go 45 days, sometimes even two months to, wow. get, a, to get an appraisal back. So
2: it,
0: the waiting really is the hardest part is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Tom Petty was right. <laughs>
1: indeed was right. Uh and like I said that there's a whole process involved with the appraisals. So um that it's kind of going into minutiae about that part of it, but an appraisal is assigned, the appraiser ex, you know ex, accepts an offer, makes a bid basically. It's accepted, it's assigned and then the appraiser typically has a couple weeks to actually go out They'll actually walk through the property. They'll walk around the property. They'll take pictures of the exterior, take pictures of the interior, and then they'll sit down and start looking at recent sales of comparable houses, mm-hmm. and they're called comps, um, and try to come up with a an idea of comparing. Comp one what might have has a three car garage. Well, this only has a two car garage and that house sold for 200. So I'm going to say, I'm going to have to knock 20,000 off because it's got a smaller garage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so there's, there's a bunch of adjustments that are made in it and, and some of that science and some of its art. Um, I was going
0: to say, it sounds like maybe there's, there's a little bit of, of um, subjectivity to it.
1: There can be. Yeah. Because, I, I, because again, there's no formula mm-hmm. for any of this. But at the end of the day, the appraiser is basically signed. And an appraisal would be like, by the time it's done, it's like 30 pages. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of that is boilerplate. <laughs> <laughs> and, but, you know, it's also at the end of the day, the appraiser is saying, I've looked at the house. I have my hands around the condition of the house, the quality of the house i've I've looked at the the recent market activity I've identified at least three houses that have sold reasonably close mm-hmm. in geography and time and uh I've made adjustments to those three sales, trying to more or less get my hands around a number, even the playing field of yeah of right sort. and yeah. at the end of the thing, they boil it down to a number yeah and there's there's like I said, it's part science part art. But at that point, the bank now has a dollar value mm-hmm. for what the the collateral, the the purchase, you know, the property that's being purchased, mm-hmm. and uh, it's another one of our ratios that we look at. It's called um, the loan to value ratio. Mm-hmm. So we can say you're borrowing a hundred thousand. Appraiser says the house is worth two hundred thousand. Well, that's a fifty percent mm-hmm. loan to value ratio. Yeah, and that's where that eighty percent loan to value that we talked about, which tends to trigger
2: Digital, DMI and yeah. things like
1: that comes in. But that's that's really kind of the biggest chunk of the delay. At the same time while that's going off going on, it should there should be somebody doing a uh it's called title work and it's basically going back in time on the history of that house as far as the ownership of it,
2: mm-hmm.
1: making sure that there's no outstanding mortgages that were not satisfied Mm -hmm. uh, outstanding liens of other types. We have our hands around who the actual seller is, the legal seller, those sort of things that's being done by a vendor, a title agent, Mm -hmm. but that's going on roughly around the same time that the appraisers. uh,
0: Yeah. There's uh, from, I, I, I dabble in history and and it's one of those things where, you know, things like jokes and so forth come about from, from, little tidbits of truth in a lot of ways. And the idea of being able to sell the, you know, there were somebody out there that, that years ago sold the Brooklyn bridge like 12 times yeah. <laughs> uh, because nobody c- confirmed that he actually didn't own it to Ex- begin with. Exactly. Um, so, you know, you, you have to understand that, you know, uh, you got to make sure that the person who's selling you the house is actually the person who owns the house to begin with and, and is legally allowed it's, it's, to
1: sell it to you. It's very
0: important. Yeah. That, that is a big um, deal.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So the title work's going on at the same time. So usually within – once the appraisal's been in and an underwriter needs to look at the appraisal and say, all right, this at least makes some sense to me. I mean, <laughs> I mean they're, they're, like I said, because there, there's some – it's it's part art, part science. Mm-hmm. And there's, sometimes you look at an appraisal and you go, boy, these adjustments, some of them are just weird. And sometimes you push back. You go back to to the appraiser, basically. And again, I'm trying not to go too into the <clears throat> into the weeds here, but we actually use an outside vendor to manage our appraisers. Mm-hmm. So we'll actually go back to that vendor and say, you know, I've looked at this appraisal and I don't understand the adjustments that were mm-hmm. made here, here, and here. I, I just need it needs an explanation. And a lot of times, a good appraiser will have. Will already identify if there's some strange things on there, and they'll document it, and they'll sort of articulate. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, normally I wouldn't use uh, a house like this, but it was the only one within a five mile radius. Yeah. You know. mm-hmm. um, at the same time, the the borrower gets a copy of the appraisal after it's been approved by the underwriter, and we've had occasions where you know the borrower has said, "I, I disagree with the appraisal," and has um, appealed it. Mm-hmm. So, And in that case, we basically get a – they fill out a form. We forward that to AMC, to the AMC company, the appraisal management company. And then that gets forwarded to the appraiser, and the appraiser has to respond to mm-hmm. it. So that can take up a little more time as well. Yeah. But typically, once you have an appraisal and the title work in hand, it's usually at that point, it's really just a question of any final conditions that we're chasing. hmm and um scheduling it with the title agent to get it closed.
0: So let, so let's you know as as we're getting s- sort of close to the end of the the process here. So l- l- you know people when they're looking <clears> to buy a house they they know that they're going to need a down payment, <laughs> right? They they know they need and and depending on the mortgage that could be a certain percentage. It could be 3%, 5%, 20% yeah. Um, I don't know how many people actually have twenty percent to put down on a house these days. I know that that used to be very typical that you needed twenty percent down. Yeah, but I think a, what a lot of people tend to look over are closing costs and how much money you need to bring to the table to
1: get your keys, even after all of this process. So, okay. what goes into a closing cost? So, closing costs are typically things like the the bank charges an origination fee. That could be anything from $100 to a couple thousand dollars, depending mm-hmm. on the, the, the financial institution, the size of the loan, things like that. Other closing costs are things that are specific to the title company, the cost of the title insurance policy, because as part of the closing, the uh, there's going to be a title insurance policy written too, which I guess we probably should have touched on. And that's basically the – the person that did the search on the property to make sure it was transferred correctly, everything else is basically ensuring that there aren't going to be any surprises on the bank's ability to have the, the first lien mm-hmm. on that property. So that's a charge. There's two kinds of those policies, actually. The borrower has the option to get one too. Mm-hmm. So typically, the bank requires one, it's optional for the borrower, but the borrower may say, well, I'm buying this house for two hundred thousand. If it turns out there was a, a Native American burial ground that nobody knew about, mm-hmm. uh, and now it's a thing, which which has happened like in the South more, mm-hmm. Florida, I know it happened. I have some way to recover my investment, right? But the bank's going to at least be covered for. So, like I said, like a the bank's lending a hundred thousand, the title policy is going to be for a hundred thousand, mm-hmm. and that's just making the bank whole. So other. There, there's various. There's the fee to actually prepare the documents or to get them signed. Mm-hmm. Uh, those documents, some of them, the actual mortgage, which is the document that gets filed with a county, mm-hmm. saying that uh, that that's a lien against the property that gets filed. There's transfer taxes, uh, various document fees, things like mm-hmm. that that need to be covered.
0: And really, your your down payment is. When you actually bring that to the table too, right? right? Which is which is kind of sort of backwards when you think about it, because you think about a down payment being at the beginning of the process when you're when you're starting everything, but it's actually something you bring to the table when you're yeah. when you're closing.
1: So it, it's a good point. So typically on a contract, especially when uh, in times like they like these that we're in and have been in for the last couple of years, the seller isn't going to want to take their property off the market for forty five days without some kind of uh, down payment, initial mm-hmm. down payment. So typically what you'll see on a purchase sale contract is that requires, say, $10,000 due at signing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and that's typically held in escrow by the seller's realtor or somebody else. But the uh, So there is that initial down payment that was written at the time of the sales contract. But yeah, but to get at the end of it, that's where, and that's why, like I've mentioned a couple of times, we're looking at their deposits, mm-hmm. deposit accounts, things like that, just to make sure that they have enough money actually to get to closing. Because, you know, most of the time when you go to closing, except on maybe a, a refinance, mm-hmm. you're writing a, a pretty, pretty stout check because you're buying, you know, you you may be putting 20% down Mm -hmm. on top of the closing costs.
0: And that's why you're looking back several months, even from the, from the days, because you're trying to make sure that, you know, people didn't go to their, their buddy and say, Hey, can I borrow five grand or 10 grand or whatever, uh, and throw it in my bank account and then claim that I have the money to pay my bills when, when I don't. Right. So that's why you're looking back to make
1: sure that, and to put a finer point on that, actually what we're looking for is to make sure you didn't borrow money and then agree to repay it mm-hmm. um, because part of that, you know, that because that would need to be factored into the debt to income. Mm-hmm. So what we're looking for is the, the $40,000 in your checking account is $40,000 of your own money. Mm-hmm. There are some exceptions. You can have gifts from family members and things like that, but that family member actually signs an affidavit saying, this is just a gift. There's no repayment expected, required anything else. Mm-hmm. you know I'll never see this money again so there there are ways around that. but really, what we're looking for is did you borrow somewhere to get this forty thousand dollars, or do you have forty thousand dollars because you've been scrimping and saving mm-hmm. for a couple of years to 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 put that money together
0: okay so 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 now we have a house.
1: Theoretically, yeah. The house. yeah. yeah. Congratulations, <laughs> which is awesome. Yeah. And now we get to and start now, paying. And for now rent. your headaches really start. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> at, least, at least the homeownership headaches.
0: <laughs> um, I really genuinely think that a lot of people they they don't appreciate what goes into a mortgage, mm-hmm. you know, and they and and that also may speak to some of the reason why some of these ages that I talked about at the very beginning of the show have gone up yeah. because people don't have the savings people don't necessarily have the income uh, at 29 mm-hmm. that they maybe did in 1981, uh, even accounting for inflation and things like that. They, they, you know, people don't necessarily have that coming in at, at a younger age uh, these days. And, and
1: there are other factors that, well, that, that just involve the in cost that too. of housing has gone up so much. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Actually, I was reading an article and I th- I'm almost positive. It said the first time home buyer, in San Diego is paying something between four hundred and six hundred thousand and $600,000 for their first home. Yeah. A lot of times first homes are sort of classified as two bedroom, one bath yeah, sort of things. I mean, this is a small house in San Diego for $600,000. Yeah. So because of that, because the real estate prices have gone up so much, it's squeezed out younger people.
0: Mm-hmm. And I, and I know too, like even just the, 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 the income streams are, are not what they, what they may have once been. I mean, the days of you know my grandfather, who was a, a, a single, had yeah. had was was a single income household. My grandmother was a, was a homemaker. My my grandfather worked – was the only one that – and and they, they had a house in a nice neighborhood with three kids and mm-hmm. did all that on his income. That's not always as easy to do these days it's
1: either. It's almost you know? impossible. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> so, really so I mean, owning a home is, is wonderful and it has a lot of advantages, but there are a lot of responsibilities that come with it. And I think that um, just as a last point, I, I wanted to sort of just highlight something that you had said was that the house is your collateral. Yep. Right, so you're buying a house, but technically, it doesn't belong to you until you've paid for it, <laughs> so kind of like your student loans or yeah. any other kind of loan that you're taking, if you don't make your payments that we will that come for you yeah that, that, that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, there there can be consequences to that right, right. so there there can be
1: consequences yeah. to it, you know and Typically, the way a mortgage loan gets vetted, you're trying to weed out circumstances where somebody either can't afford it or has a history of not repaying their debts, things like that. You're mm-hmm. trying to weed that sort of scenario out very early in the underwriting process. But yeah, there are circumstances, things change. People lose jobs. Well, you jobs. mentioned divorce earlier. And, yeah, and, can, yeah, yeah. Uh, um the uh Right, exactly. I mean, it's change jobs, change, change jobs, the, yeah. change circumstances. Uh, and if you find yourself in default on a mortgage, it is a long protracted process, partly because it 's not in the bank's interest to take you out of that house. The bank will typically do everything they can to try to keep you in that house mm-hmm. as long as you're making a good faith effort to 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 try to rectify the situation. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the bank doesn't necessarily want to be in that house because a house sold by a bank, it's basically a sign that you you can buy that house if you're an investor, you know, somebody looking to buy mm-hmm. that house for a lot less than if it was being sold under regular circumstances. There's a, there's a certain amount of duress in that in that mm-hmm. transaction, so the banks don't want to be part of that unless they absolutely have to. But it does happen. Yeah,
0: and, and I think I think you make a good point. I think that. Um a lot of times, when something like that happens to someone, where they they can't necessarily make their payments, or, or something happens, you know, I, I, you don't always know, but you assume it's out of their control. Like they they maybe they lost their job through no fault of their own, or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, it's not really something where uh, uh, someone is predatorily trying to take your house away from you. Right. Right.
1: I mean that in. There may have been circumstances historically where th- those sort of things happened. Fair. Yeah. Fair. Enough. But in today's environment, it's hard to imagine a, a lender would uh, lend you $200,000 to buy a house and not want 200,000 plus all the accrued interest back mm-hmm. uh, that they'd rather have the house that you bought. But they, the, the one thing, and just to bring this up, that's uh, some people seem surprised by is when you walk away from a house, it's not just,
2: you know, <laughs> I'm done.
1: You still owe, 100, say, $180,000 on that house. Mm-hmm. If the bank sells that house for 140000 you still owe 40000 Right, right, yeah. So it's, you know, the, the, when I was living in Jacksonville in 2008 when the housing market crashed, I talked to a couple people who said, well, I bought the house for 100000 and now it's only worth 60000 I'm just walking away from it. Mm -hmm. And I I told him, I was like, (laughs) that's, that's not the reason to walk away from a house. Um, First of all, prices go up and they go down. They generally always wind up going up when you look at it. over. Yeah. Give it enough time. Yeah. Yeah. Give it enough time. And I said, if you walk away from that house, uh, you're still going to owe them whatever the deficiency is after they sell it. And they're going to, they're going to accrue expenses that you're going to, that is going to come out of that and everything else. Yeah. I mean, you're not just walking away from it free and clear, yeah. So, you know, unless the bank agrees to something like that, and that's called a short sale.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but the, but yeah, it's a, there, it's it's the same thing with cars. too. I mean, you know, <laughs> you decide you don't like your car anymore, and you and you toss the keys to the bank, yeah, and you owe ten thousand dollars, and the car gets sold for five thousand, you still owe a five thousand dollar deficiency, right. It's uh yeah. So there are some people who are unaware of that whole concept, and make rash decisions that can have long-term effects for them. Yeah.
0: Well, listen, I I I really appreciate your time and and everything and going through all this. It's it's been it's really an education. It it yeah. truly is. And well, it's
1: been very enjoyable for me because I love to hear myself talk.
0: <laughs> um. Yeah. Yeah. It's not uh, my typical procedure to to berate the guest, so <laughs> so so I, w- I I will not I will not
1: uh, I will not I will not counter that statement. Yeah. Well, when I listen so, to this, may I schedule time on to uh, to rebut? Yeah. Anything, abso- absolutely. That, yeah.
0: No, we would we would love to have you back. I mean, th- 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 we would love to have you back. And as I'm sure the listeners know, that th- we're still early on in this process. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I can imagine having you back on you know many times and and. Um, we can reiterate some of this conversation. Some of the stuff can change. I mean, yeah. look at how much has changed just in the last three years yeah. uh, when it comes to mortgages and, and home buying. And it's really much more complicated than what people, I think, imagine it to be. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that if you, have, if you have somebody that's good at guiding you, if you have a good lender, if you have a good uh, realtor um, that can help guide you through these processes, it's not something that's undoable. Right. But – it isn't something that should be taken
1: lightly either. Right. And I, I tell people when they're – especially at my age now, these tend to be children of friends of mine <laughs> who are buying their houses for the first time. And and I'll, I'll talk to them about the process and I'll tell them, like, first of all, like, the the, the whole process is just fraught emotionally. Mm-hmm. You know, I bought my first house in 1998 and I think I threw up in a trash can at the <laughs> It's So it's fraught with emotion, but at the same time, if you if you just work through the process at the end, you have a 30-year loan, typically with a rate a percentage or two points less than if you bought a car for a five-year loan. Mm-hmm. Um, so the process is designed to sort of homogenize all of the loans to get everybody comfortable with the value, you know with, with mm-hmm. what was put into it, and that that what's on paper is actually what's true. But as a result, you wind up with a a very a fairly low price loan for a long term, mm-hmm. and and it's a house. The house is is typically over time an appreciating asset. It mm-hmm. builds wealth. Uh, there are neighborhoods where people don't own their own homes, and those those neighborhoods tend to have lower incomes and lower levels of wealth. A, a chunk, a big chunk of it can be mm-hmm. attributed to the fact that. They don't own real estate, mm-hmm. so it's an investment. Work through the process. You know, you can. You, it's certainly okay to ask for explanations of the process, but work through the process because at, at the end, you're going to own a home for a fairly low rate and fairly reasonable terms. Yeah, and, um, and you get to pay school taxes. You get to pay <laughs> school taxes. <coughs> and you get to well, in pennsylvania yeah. i don't know if that's yeah, yeah. i don't know if that's, and you get to to re- yeah. every every couple of years replace a, an outlet or, yeah. or you know or a, a wall switch or you know <laughs> or,
0: no i i think that i mean all joking aside i think what you've just said is is fantastic and i don't know that i could really say anything that that could sum it up better than that i i think that you know having um that appreciating asset in your back pocket especially, like you said, compared to a car or something like that, is, is, is more value than, than I think people fully understand or appreciate
1: yeah, sometimes. because a car is a, a depreciating asset. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't imagine a lot, of, a, lot of, um, a lot of people opening up a barn door in 40 years and saying, oh, a Kia Soul. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I can't believe it. Well, we're, off, we're offline. Yeah, yeah I'll yeah. tell you some, yeah. some stories about that. But. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. All right. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. This podcast focuses on having valuable conversations on various topics related to banking and financial health. The podcast is grounded in having open conversations with professionals and experts with the goal of helping to take some of the mystery out of financial and related topics – as learning about financial products and services can help you make more informed financial decisions. Please keep in mind that the information contained within this podcast and any resources available for download from our website or other resources relating to bank chats is not intended and should not be understood or interpreted to be financial advice. The host, guests, and production staff of Bank Chats expressly recommend that you seek advice from a trusted financial professional before making financial decisions. The host of Bank Chats is not an attorney, accountant, or financial advisor, and the program is simply intended as one source of information. The podcast is not a substitute for a financial professional who is aware of the facts and circumstances of your individual situation. AmeriServe Presents Bank Chats is produced and distributed by AmeriServe Financial Incorporated. We want to once again thank David O'Leary of the Ameriserve Mortgage Team for joining us on this walk through a typical home-buying process. While there are often unforeseen bumps and detours along the way when purchasing a home, this does give a good sense of what the process should look like. We also would like to thank you, our listener, for joining us on this second episode of Ameriserve Presents Bank Chats, and hope you'll stick around for the next episode, and the next, and the next. We have a lot of great discussions coming up in the near future. Please check out AmeriServe.com slash bankchats for details about the podcast, along with any supplementary materials that may be posted. And don't forget to subscribe so you know when new episodes are available. For now, I'm Drew Thomas. So long.